0: Welcome to this week's show. In this one, I have a conversation with Mike Ward, the co-owner of The Pioneer Bar. The Pioneer Bar, better known as Pio, is a classic Alaskan bar located in downtown Anchorage. It's been around since the 1950s, before Alaska became a state. Back then, it was a working-class bar with a regular crowd of blue-collar workers and barflies. It eventually began to attract a younger crowd in the late 1990s. That trend has continued to this day, where crusty sourdoughs and weakened warriors drink side by side. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine That's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed to the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber Seward Brewing Company The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau Derek Adolph Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Okay, back to Mike Ward. Mike's relationship with the Pio goes all the way back to his childhood when his dad was a regular and he would bring Mike with him. That was around 1980. Mike and his business partner, Dave Crawfoot, bought the bar in 2013, and they quickly learned that the idea of owning a bar is much different than the reality of it. In reality, you have to deal with controlling crowds, local politics, and all the repairs that come with owning a 100-year-old building. So here he is, Mike Ward. (laughs) <laughs> this red light right here it means we're recording. Okay, fired up.
1: Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk.
0: Go to work. So does everyone call you Pio Mike or is it just some people?
2: Uh, just some people. It uh, it was kind of a nickname. It was and it, it tur- started as Pio Mikey. And I tried to clip the Mikey cause I've just never liked being called Mikey. And, uh, it's just kind of gone on from there. It's, uh, seems to be more of the, the bar friends than, than my friends outside of the bar, but people I meet through the bar, especially girls always, oh, it's Pio Mike. I'm like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any other nicknames? Uh, no, not really. I mean, in high school, my nickname was Ward hog just cause my last name's ward and i don't know just high school nicknames come about but but that's really about it
0: why war dog were you kind of a a bigger guy
2: yeah i know i still am
0: okay let me see you know i i think when i think of the pioneer bar i think of it as a a classic alaskan bar um it's a relatively small dive bar where oftentimes like crusty bar flies mixed with the weekend partiers do you think that's accurate or would you describe it differently
2: no, that that's pretty accurate. Um, it's uh, it's definitely changed over the years. You know, when I first started working there in two thousand one, it was a a big time Irish bar during the day. Mm. All the slope workers and guys that were were you know weren't working at the time. That's where they all hung out and and drank, and because that's what they all did in Ireland. So when they came over here, that's that's just what they knew. Um, but now it's it's kind of progressed into just being a party spot on the weekends and, you know, the bar flies and it's got the dive bar feel to it, you know, shuffleboard, couple pool tables, dartboards, just just a good good all-around fun spot to hang out. You know,
0: I had this question kind of further down, but it, it seems like it goes pretty well here. So um, I asked on Instagram if anybody would have a question for you and Peter Wallach asks... How have the demographics of customers changed over the years?
2: I think it's gotten, well, I'd like to say it's gotten younger, would be the biggest thing, like the age demographics. But, you know, it was funny when I first started working at the bar, there was some guys in there, mid early to mid thirties working there. And after I'd been there for a few years, I was 24 and they were, you know, 35, 36. And they were like, man, this bar is just getting really, really young. It's just too young now. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this is just the same. It's always been. And then when I turned 35 and was working there, I was like, man, this bar has just gotten really young. And then I thought to myself, nope, I'm just getting old. The bars, <laughs> the bars really stayed the same.
0: You know, one thing that I've realized as I've gotten older is I can't be around 21 year olds when they're partying. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, uh their energy level is, you know, it exceeds my energy level for, you know, drinking and partying.
2: I held on to that for a long time of being able to, to keep up with them and have that energy. But man, it was about 36, 37, about two years after we bought the bar and I just hit a wall. And it's like, if I'm out past midnight, like it's not good.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think it definitely catches up with you at a certain age. Um, so you and Dave Crawford bought the bar back in 2013, right? Yep. But you were familiar with the Pio long before that, right?
2: Yeah, I, um, I grew up in that bar to tell you the truth. Uh, as I said earlier, a lot of the old uh, Irish guys, that was their hangout. One of their hangouts, there were several around town. There was the Chachaco, the Irish setter, Olies, um, And the pioneer were their big hangouts and my dad immigrated here from Ireland. And so he was a slope worker. So when he was, you know, two weeks on two weeks off or whatever it was, when he was in town, he hung out with his buddies at the bar. So I learned how to play pool there, learned how to throw darts there, knew all the bartenders, um, just, I just kind of grew up in there.
0: You know, in Ireland, there's this, uh, I don't know, maybe for better or for worse, there's a stereotype about you know bar culture and drinking and you know the Irish are heavy drinkers but maybe also a good way to understand it is that the bar scene in Ireland and I've been to Ireland so I've actually seen this firsthand it's like it's a culture you know people go into the bar and they they socialize with each other and you know they talk to each other about their day and they talk to the bartender have you tried to instill any of that at the Pioneer since you guys owned it?
2: Um, to an extent, like our, our families all hang out there. Um, we spend a lot of time there, you know, we do on Thanksgiving and Christmas, Dave and I, uh, do like a big feast for, um, anybody who doesn't have a place to go or is traveling or, or whatever. And and it's actually turned into our families go there for Thanksgiving always. Um, and then Christmas, we kind of take turns and are in and out. But, uh, our, our, our family spent a lot of time there. Um, I think our, our parents, both of our moms were kind of against it at first, <laughs> but then they saw how much fun everybody was having and how happy everyone was. And they didn't have to clean Yeah, <laughs> at the end, at the end of Thanksgiving. And, and they, they came, they both came around on it and actually really started to enjoy it.
0: What were they saying? Were they just like, I'm not going to spend, you know, a holiday at a bar or what? Yeah.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, from, from my mom, at least my dad was an alcoholic. And so when I, when I started working at the bar, she was not, she was not very happy about it. And then as I started bartending and then started managing and then ended up buying it, she still wasn't particularly pleased. I mean, she was proud of me, but it wasn't the, it was definitely wasn't the life choices that she had wanted me to make.
0: So what was that like growing up with a father who was an alcoholic?
2: Um, you know, it was difficult at times It had, had good times and bad times, you know, but it was all I knew or all I've ever known. So it just seemed normal to me. Mm -hmm. Um, All of my friends that had parents, you know, that weren't alcoholics, they had their issues as well. So, you know, every time you, you think, you think someone has a better because of something, it turns out that maybe there's something else going on that is just as bad, if not worse. So. So it was just normal life to me. It was, it was tough at times, but like I said, there was some, there were some good times as well.
0: Were you aware of that concept when you were younger that, you know, the grass is always greener until you're over there and then you realize like, oh, they have their own stuff going on as well.
2: Yeah, I think so. I, um, probably more in my teens, I realized it, you know, when I was having difficulty with whatever was going on mm-hmm. and then I would see friends having you know, wouldn't have the same difficulties as me, but they were having just as hard of a time dealing with something in their personal life or family life. Mm-hmm.
0: You know what? And, and I'm asking these questions kind of following along this line. I don't have any of these written down about alcoholism, but um, a lot of my family suffered from alcoholism as well. And so I always think it's it's interesting to talk to uh I don't know, like another person who has lived that life. Like I, I can totally empathize when you're talking about, you know, the grass is always greener and then you see what, you know, the other side is like, and you're like, okay, yeah, they got their own issues. And maybe you're not even super aware of, I don't know, that, that demon in, in your own family until you get older and you're like, okay, like you start seeing the signs, you know?
2: I mean, I definitely saw the signs at an, at an early age uh, for the demons in my family. And it's something that is always like, I was always conscious of it and aware of it as I was growing up and, you know, in high school, starting to drink and, and party and do stuff. It was something that was always in the back of my mind.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, always whenever we were out drinking or, or hanging out or, you know, get up, got the friends together and booze came out.
0: Did you ever at any point um, say to yourself, like, I need to slow this down.
2: Um, yes, yes and no. Um, there was just times, I I don't think alcohol ever controlled my life, but there was definitely times when I was drinking too much, um, because I worked in the bar, you know, I was, there was a point right when I started bartending where I was working the door three nights a week and then bartending two nights a week. And I was younger, you know, I was 23, 24. So, And single. So on my nights off, I was down at the bar. So there was times where I was definitely drinking too much, but I definitely reined myself in and, you know, thought to myself, Hey, this probably isn't the, the, the best way for you to spend all of your time. For
0: sure. I think that I came to a similar conclusion, probably in college where I'm like, okay, if I keep drinking this way, then I'm not going to be able to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I read a quote recently that I thought was great. It was something along the lines of drinking or being an alcoholic means that you are sacrificing tomorrow's happiness for today. You know, so you're you're using up all of tomorrow's happiness in this moment because, you know, you're going to have to suffer the hangover.
2: Yeah, there's definitely times where I can agree with that, but there's also, you know, anything can be okay in moderation. Mm -hmm, For sure. You know, so there's a big difference between going out after work or, you know, going out Friday and Saturday night and having a few drinks with your buddies and hanging out, you know, and going out every Friday and Saturday night and just getting absolutely hammered. And, you know, the only way you can deal with it the next day is to either sleep or to start drinking again.
0: For sure. Hair of the dog.
2: Yeah. You know, and and I've done weekends both ways. I just think as you get older and you realize what's what's important and what you want to do with your life or whatever you want to do, you just, you make the decisions.
0: You know, and I think it might not be popular to say, but it's really fun going over war stories, you know, like <laughs> your, uh, uh, your drinking times and, you know, all the good times you've had with your friends and maybe you got too shitty one time, but, you know, it, it, it made a good story.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the good times for me definitely outweighed the bad times as far as my drinking went. Um, you know, there's times where I've, you know, should have pulled the plug and didn't, and it's ended up costing me in, in some way, but, but like I said, the, the goods definitely outweighed the bad.
0: Mm -hmm. And what kind of alcoholic was your dad?
2: He was just depressed. Hmm he had he just lived a really really hard life his parents both died in ireland when he was 15 and he was pretty much on his own since then he had some brothers and sisters but they were all they they were for the most part they didn't really help each other out they at that time i think later in life they you know became closer and started helping each other out but when their parents died when he was 15 that he was pretty much on his own so i think the highest level of education he ever had was Maybe eighth grade. Okay. Eighth or ninth grade. But he was one of the most intelligent people that I've ever known. I mean, he could hold a conversation with anybody.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's that, um, there's that certain wisdom with kind of those old drunks, or I mean, even, even like younger people who become old drunks, you know, that it's just you have this, uh, I don't know, certain sixth sense. It's like this indefinable you've, you've suffered so much. So then you can identify the suffering, you know, and you kind of are maybe one with the suffering, if, if that means anything.
2: I could, I could see that. I mean, also just, just living the life he lived, he just experienced a lot, you Mm -hmm. know, and worked as, you know, he originally went to Canada and worked his way across Canada, working for oil companies and ended up in Alaska. Um, when the North slope was starting to boom off so he just he just gained a lot of experience and knowledge just just talk with everybody i mean he could sit down and talk with anybody and and gain insight from their experiences or their knowledge
0: Mm-hmm. and so he was a regular at the pioneer bar do you remember what the pio looked like back then
2: uh, almost exactly the same okay <laughs> i'll tell you the truth. Um, I think the floors changed a couple times and it's, it needs to change again. It's about time for, uh, for us to, to redo the whole floor. We, it was in our plans until uh, we got shut down earlier this year. So it's kind of, uh, kind of been put on the back burners, but, um, you know, the, I think there's different stools, not what there's definitely different stools now. Cause I remember in 03 or 04 when the previous owners bought the new stools, we had a, we had a party one night and it was. If you were sitting at the stool at the end of the night, you could take it home with you just to get rid of them.
0: (laughs) Is that a real thing?
2: Yeah, that was a real thing. It was pretty funny. There was a couple of guys showed up with pickup trucks and you know, they brought friends just like, Hey, we're going to have four stools from the pioneer at my house for when we go over there. And I had a couple at my house and yeah, it was a pretty, it was a pretty fun time.
0: And so what you just show up to the pile and you'd, you'd screw in the chair and sit down or what?
2: No, no, it was just, you could. Just at the end of the night, whatever chair, whatever bar stool you were sitting on, you could take home with you.
0: Oh, okay. And these are just like normal bar stools. They aren't like bolted into the floor.
2: No, no, none of our, none of our stools are bolted into the floor.
0: Okay. Okay. You know, it's been a while since I've, I've been to the Pioneer and I mean, the Pioneer has such a reputation, right? Like in my mind, if me and my friends were going to the Pio, it was like to get really hammered, you know? (laughs) <laughs> um and I, I don't know is have you noticed that that's a that's a common theme with people or do people go there and you know just drink moderately and hang out as well
2: uh, I think it's a little bit of everything you know um there's people that go there and just have a couple beers and hang out with their friends and could be there for you know three or four hours or longer mm-hmm. and there's guys that go there and have a little bit more and are chasing girls or dancing or whatever and then there's guys that go there and probably drink more than they should. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't say that people just go there to get hammered. I mean, it is, we are known for having a strong cocktail. That's always, that's always been one of our things. And pile punch. Yep. The pile punch. That was a, that was a good creation. Who did that? Uh, that was me and Saul DeMoss, who is one of the guys that taught me how to bartend and basically taught me everything I know about bartending and, being in the bar industry. Uh, he now owns the Seward Ale House in Seward with his wife, Liz.
0: Cool. Okay. And so I don't know, I, I feel like I have another question about the pile punch, but maybe, maybe the question is for people who aren't familiar with the pioneer bar in Anchorage, what is pile punch?
2: Pile punch is, uh, it's just our take on a fruit punch cocktail. We got a bottle of uh, of a brand new vodka out from one of the distributors, and they were like, "Hey, see if you guys can come up with something for this." And Saul and I sat there one night and just experimented and experimented, experimented, and and that that's what came of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And a huge hangover the next day, but <laughs> but the pile punch came of it, and it's probably been it's probably our number one cocktail since we created it. Uh, originally started as a shot actually, and then we turned it into a cocktail.
0: And there's also a cocktail called uh, a garbage can, right? Trash can. Trash can. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And what's that all about? So that came from, um, Red Bull, the Red Bull rep CJ Von Imhoff back in the day, he had a bunch of his, uh, Red Bull counterparts come up here to do some sort of party. And they, they, someone in San Diego, I believe, came up with the trash can. And it's basically a Long Island, but instead of uh, triple sec, you lose, you use blue carousel. And then instead of Coke, you put an upside down Red Bull in it. And then you're supposed to crinkle the Red Bull can so it looks like a beat up trash can. was the, <laughs> was the original uh, concept behind it. But that took off, man. We were probably one of the first places in Anchorage to serve a trash can, and it became one of our, I don't know if I would say signature drink, but definitely staple drinks. There's other places that made them, but but we definitely made a lot.
0: It gets you there faster. Yeah. For sure, (laughs) to that hammered stage.
2: And I mean, if you like Red Bull, it tastes way better than Long Island.
0: You know, I kind of want to get back to... When we were talking about the building and, you know, the building being old, and if you know any history of the building or even like history of that bar before you owned it.
2: So, like I said, in the fifties, it became the pioneer bar or it might've been the pioneer club. I'm not exactly sure it's been both names. Um, but it, we had a territorial, well, they had a territorial liquor license before Alaska was a state. Um, And then at some point in the 60s, it was sold to um, a lady named Opal Myers and her husband. I believe her husband bought it and then he passed away and she took the reins over in the mid-60s and she ran it until 93 when she sold it to Denny and Willie. Mm -hmm. And then they bought it in 93 and it was pretty much a just a just a regular working class bar there wasn't any major nightlife in there at all and they had a daughter named quincy who started working as a cocktail waitress when she turned 21 and her friends all started coming in Um, i don't remember which high school she went to i think it might have been east but all of her friends started coming in and then their friends started coming in and it just grew exponentially from there i would say probably around like 97 was when that started 96 or 97 Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe a year earlier i'm not exactly sure on the time frame because i wasn't old enough to be in there yet and then by the time that i started well i turned 21 in october 2000 and one of my best friends older sisters took him and i and a few other people out for the night and one of our first stops was the pioneer and and then I, i guess i never left (laughs) You got stuck. I got stuck. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any wild, uh,
0: I don't know, downtown Anchorage stories from your youth or even like Pio stories?
2: Man, it's hard to, it's hard to think of, (laughs) of any one there. It's just, it's been a lot of fun over the years. You know, I first started going in there just as a customer. When I turned 21, Mm -hmm. Dave and I, my partner now, we were both working at FedEx, and going to school at UAA, and on Friday and Saturday night, after I turned 21, we started going out, and that was one of our stops. We you know hit up old school um, Rum Runners, Humpies, F Street, and the Pioneer. And those guys that work there recognized my name on my credit card. Uh, I had a Philadelphia Flyers credit card, so they remembered the card, and mm-hmm. then they recognized the name from my dad. Cause they knew my dad pretty well from being a customer. And then one night uh, they just asked me to work the door. They had someone they had to fire and I started working the door and about three months later, I got Dave a job working the door. And then we've both been there ever since. You guys infiltrated it. We infiltrated it and slowly, slowly took over. (laughs) But there's definitely been some wild times. I mean, I remember in the early two thousands, you know, some of the stuff going on next door at the gaslight, that parking lot behind us was a was a war zone you know we'd close up shop and and we'd we'd lock all the doors of the bar and we'd just go out and watch the mayhem ensue out there what kind of mayhem just madness it seemed in the early 2000s
0: like fights or yeah fights all okay. kinds of
2: stuff back there
0: do you know what like incited it or was it just kind of the element that that area brought at that time
2: i think it was just the element that the area brought at the time You know,
0: what's been interesting as an adult, I have been more conscious of like what is going on downtown Anchorage, like the element of like safety versus the element of, I guess, not safety. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed, you know, things changing over the years or kind of an ebb and flow of, of like things being safe or sketchy at certain times,
2: you know? i personally have never not felt safe downtown okay but maybe that's just because i've spent so much time downtown Mm -hmm. i've always been there i'm a bigger guy so even though i suck at fighting you know maybe people think that i'm menacing i i don't know but i i've always been comfortable walking around downtown late at night without any problems um i definitely you know being there i've seen i've seen stuff happen all up and down fourth fifth and sixth avenue that that probably shouldn't have and that wasn't safe but i don't think there's been any great significant change there's definitely been just like you said an ebb and flow where it's you know it it comes and it goes Mm -hmm. and it all just depends on who's downtown um i remember when uh platinum jacks was going strong humpies was going strong Rum Runners was going strong, and the anchor was across the street from us. Was probably the busiest downtown ever was in the mid two thousands, and there was this vortex where people just came downtown and never left. Downtown used to always be, at least when I turned twenty one, you would go down there and have a couple drinks and have dinner, and you know walk around a little bit, but then you'd go to Coots. And you'd hang out at Coots and that was the big party spot. Mm-hmm. And then if nothing came of hanging out at Coots, you'd end up back downtown for the end the you know, last call, end of the night, just to see what's going on. And when all those bars opened up downtown and had strong, strong, uh, strong presence downtown, everything shifted from midtown to downtown and it was just nuts. I mean, it was just people of all walks of life walking around downtown. And for the first two years of it, there wasn't really any danger or violence. It's almost like the people that were causing trouble at the parking lot at Coots hadn't realized where everyone had gone yet. <laughs> and so everyone that was downtown was just there to have fun. No one was there to rob people or steal or cause trouble. Everyone just wanted to have a great time. I mean, I'm sure anytime you involve testosterone and alcohol, there's going to be You know, mistakes made and dumb stuff done, but everything was pretty peaceful. But then, once the criminal element realized where everybody was, that all changed. And that's when you had all the Barmageddon and stuff coming out in the newspapers and the assembly threatening to shut down bars and do stuff. But it it wasn't really the bars, it was just that the bars had attracted so many people downtown that that's where all the criminals came to attack people. I mean, they had set up video cameras and you can see this one guy in 10 different videos. It was the same guy that, you know, beat up and robbed 10 people, you know, but the cops just videoed him instead of arresting him.
0: Yeah. That's weird. I I guess maybe I'm not familiar with, with that incident, but I am familiar with like the inexplicable uh, situation where you had everybody leave. And I forget which bar it was downtown, but I think it was on third. And so, the bar would close down and then everybody from the bar would go outside and then they all got in this like Royal rumble and it happened like three or four times.
2: I think that was actually down further on fourth. Okay. Um, And that what, it wasn't even that long ago. It was, uh, it was when the, uh, what was the bar across from the Avenue? The gaslight. No, not the Gaslight. They're right next door to us. Okay. Um, Playhouse. It was oh, Playhouse. okay. It was after after the Anchor had shut down and Remrunners had shut down. A lot of that crowd shifted to the Playhouse. And the Playhouse and Avenue crowds, I remember there being some stuff on the internet of, you know, not riots, but definitely the streets getting blocked and people just doing crazy stuff.
0: Yeah, it was like a... Um... It was like a a weird natural phenomenon. It was like something that needed to be coordinated, almost like a flash dance or something, you know, like everybody left the bar and they're in the middle of the street and then they start fighting. It it reminded me of something from like Anchorman, you know, where they all meet up and they (laughs) got their Triton and everybody's fighting, you know,
2: I was never down there for any of that. I only really saw it on the, on the internet. Um, we've always tried to, even though my guys, you know, technically for like insurance reasons, they can't really do anything out on the street. But my guys have always been so like proud of the bar and the reputation and what goes on in front of us that anytime anything ever pops off, we always try and stop it from escalating into something crazy. Mm-hmm. Not, I can't say that we've always been good at it, but uh, but successful i wouldn't say good but we haven't always been successful but i think my guys and and me back when i was working there have done have done a great job of of keeping everything in front of us at least pretty sane
0: how often do people get banned from the pile
2: oh you know it happens not with any great regularity we um i always try to look at the good in people so if someone makes a mistake and they do something dumb, with the exception of assaulting a staff member, mm-hmm. but if uh, if someone messes up and they, they start a fight or just do something idiotic, we always try and give them a you know a one or two month break, and kind of give them a heads up that hey you know this is your one chance to you know to to not do this again. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to 86 you, you know, there's, I've had friends, you know, not friends, but acquaintances, people that I knew and liked through the bar that have done stupid stuff in the bar. And I've had to be like, Hey, you've got to take a break and, you know, and then come talk to us after, you know, 60 days or 30 days or whatever it is, basically giving them a timeout and then, you know, come back and talk to them and be like, Hey, you know, this isn't acceptable, but you can't act like this in here. You know, we want you to respect the bar as much as we respect you. And then sometimes that works. Sometimes they've gone on to become great customers and great friends. And other times they've, you know, become habitual offenders that we just have to get rid of. That all seems pretty civil,
0: as far as you know, telling them that that type of behavior is is unwanted. And then you know they give like this period of kind of being suspended from the bar, and then they come back. And is it during normal hours that they have these conversations of? You know, I know what I did wrong and I'm sorry and I'll never do it again.
2: Yeah, generally we try to arrange something with them to meet up at a, you know, not a busy time. For the most part now, I let my bartenders handle all of that um, because I don't know the customers that are out at Friday and Saturday night. I don't know them as well as I did when I was behind the bar, you know, four or five nights a week. Mm -hmm. So up until about three years ago, uh, I was doing it, but now I, I let my guys take care of it. Um, but that's just what we try and do. We, you know, we don't. Like I said, I always try to look at the, the good in people. You know, just because you did something dumb doesn't mean you're a bad person, and we don't want you back. But you have to realize that, you know, that that type of behavior isn't acceptable.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I've, I mean, I've had it happen with some of my own staff members. You know, where we've even when I was, you know, bartending there, working the door, where the bartenders ahead of me told somebody like, "Hey, you work here. We expect better from you." Mm-hmm. Like. A, you shouldn't fight in bars to begin with, and you especially shouldn't fight in a bar that you work at. You know, so not only is you being allowed to come in here and drink on the line, but your job's on the line. Like mm-hmm. you can't do that.
0: You know what's interesting about that is, is that I wonder if the fact that Anchorage is a smaller city than say like L.A. or New York, and if say you get eighty-six from a bar in New York, I bet you or it wouldn't surprise me if the owners of that bar didn't do something similar to what you guys do, because this person's probably never going to come back because there's a million other bars. Mm -hmm. Whereas downtown Anchorage, there's like, you know, as far as a bar bar, what there's like
2: a handful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we always, you know, we, you know, you hate to lose a customer, but you have to, you have to weigh the pros and cons of them being a customer. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't matter how much money you spend in the bar, if you're acting in a way that causes us liability and just causes trouble in the bar that, you know, that affects us in too much of a negative light that we'd rather lose your business than have something bad happen in the bar. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you think there's a difference in the idea of owning a bar? versus the reality of owning a bar
2: a hundred percent hundred two hundred percent
0: okay
2: <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's pretty funny uh people think that oh you own the pioneer oh you must make so much money it's like no not i mean not really we bought the business so we're paying it off <laughs> we're just mm-hmm. we're just like everyone else we're just running a business it just happens to be a bar <laughs> and And people don't realize all the the behind-the-scenes stuff, especially when you own a hundred-year-old building. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I I can't even count. I can't even count like not including hands, toes, anything. Like, I don't even know how many times Dave and I have been have had to do work on that building um, that we try to do ourselves to save money. You know, whether it's plumbing stuff or flooring stuff or roofing stuff or electrical stuff or you know anything we can. We've got buddies that. You know we've got buddies that have businesses electrical companies and plumbing companies so they come in and kind of show us what we need to do and how to do it and stuff like that electrical stuff is a little bit different because we ha- you pretty much have to have a, another company do that especially with commercial buildings but everything else we just try to kind of fix on our own and <laughs> i like I said i can't even count how many times we've been under that bar laying on her backs working on the plumbing whether it's the sinks or the ice bins or the water lines or or all of that everything behind there yeah it sounds like a, a real fixer upper yeah definitely definitely and we had a, a janitor who was a he was a great janitor but he considered himself a really good handyman and he he really wasn't <laughs> he uh in what way he he never fixed something properly. He would fix it so that it was just good enough to last a little while. So and he wouldn't tell us about it. And this is even this went on even before we bought the bar. Um and he so he wouldn't tell the, the previous owners that he'd done something. So, you know, they thought everything was fine and then something that he had jury rigged ten times gave out in such a way that it wasn't an easy fix anymore. You know, it was an expensive major fix. Mm-hmm. Um, plumbing stuff mainly was, is the biggest part just cause water, like water, what <laughs> you live on water, but man, it'll kill buildings.
0: Has anything surprised you guys having owned it now for what? Seven years.
2: Yeah. i will be seven years in October. Um, I guess my biggest surprise, um, I can't necessarily speak for Dave. I, I'm pretty confident I can, but uh, dealing with the city and the police and the assembly and the municipality and all that stuff was the biggest wake-up call for us you know we had managed the bar since 2007 so we had a pretty good idea of how to run it
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, but then when it came to all the licensing and dealing with amco and and like i said the police the municipality and that that was the biggest wake-up call for us like oh this is not as easy as it seems you've got to keep everybody happy and you know people people that aren't in the bar industry don't understand what really goes on in a bar so they just sit there and they, they kind of look down upon it like oh this isn't necessary people don't need to be going to bars anyways so mm-hmm. you know maybe the harder we make it on the bars the less people will go out and drink and cause trouble do you have any specific examples um <laughs> I'm I'm hesitant to say anything because the last time I called out somebody it ended up biting us <laughs> ended up biting us in the ass um but there's been good and bad police officers that have been downtown um you know there's been incidents where the police have come in and not known what really happened or has gone on and completely overreacted to the situation and caused trouble for us um You know, but at the same time, there's been cops downtown that have done a great job, and you know, understand that you're running a business, and you know, stuff bad stuff that happens in a bar is bad for business. You know, that's never good for business. It's the last thing we want to happen.
0: Do you think that the city of Anchorage ever pushes back on new and progressive ideas?
2: A hundred percent. They constantly push back on new and progressive ideas. The state of Alaska in general has Um, the organizations like Char and the. Uh, Alaska Hospitality Retailer Association have been working trying to work with the state legislature to rewrite some of the some of the lo- the liquor laws in Alaska that are so outdated that but they just get constantly getting pushed back. I'm sure you remember I think it was last summer or the summer before when the huge brewery like the brewery versus bars mm-hmm. stuff kind of came into the public and you know it was the the liquor industry in general was trying to progress stuff, you know, trying to to open up business and be pro business, but the the legislature just fought back and kind of slowed everything down and brought it to a halt. I think they finally have some Title IV rewrite stuff in the works that is gonna be good for business and change some laws, but but it's been a constant fight.
0: Why do you think that is? Why do you think that the city of Anchorage is so scared of, of change?
2: I don't know if they're so scared of changes. They're just for lack of a better term, they're just kind of anti-alcohol. Okay. You know, um, it seems like politicians now seem to, especially our assembly right now, seem to be very anti-industry unless, you know, they need you for a fundraiser. Hmm. You know, they definitely want to have beer and wine and alcohol at their fundraisers. But when you're trying to run a business with beer, wine, and alcohol, they seem to try and put up as many roadblocks as they can.
0: You know, I I think of Brown Bag Sandwich Company um, when I think of Anchorage kind of pushing back on these new and progressive ideas. And for listeners not familiar with Brown Bag, it was a sandwich shop in downtown Anchorage that was eventually also a bar. Uh, and it was owned by a young couple who a lot of people believe were more or less kind of bullied out of business.
2: Brown Bag was an interesting situation. Um, I knew the people that owned it very well just through through growing up in Anchorage and being in the industry. Mm-hmm. And when they undertook turning Brown Bag into a bar as well, when they moved locations and went from just having beer and wine to having a full liquor license, um, it just seemed like it got out of hand for them um they i think they did a lot of things wrong in in operating it um but they definitely caught a lot of backlash from the neighbors who made life very hard for them um you know the the woodshed had been a bar for years yeah and years and years and years and years and years and when it shut down that apartment building next to it I think it was two years maybe even three years that there wasn't a bar in that location Mm -hmm. and so they got used to there not being a bar there and so when a bar opened up in there and then for lack of a better term you know the downstairs of brown bag was a club and so there was loud music and people partying and having a great time and so when they left it was loud or when they were there, it was loud. You know, when they came out outside, it was loud.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so there was people who were just unhappy that there was a bunch of commotion going on outside of their residence, which I can understand. Um, but at the same time, you're living downtown in the middle of a commercial area, so.
0: And there was a bar there prior too, Pri- right? Yeah, exactly. So that, that's, that's always a little interesting to me that there was a bar there for so long. And then, like you said, and I get it, like three years, no bar. You know, that's that must be blissful, right? Compared to what it was prior to that. But your status quo at that point, living in those apartments, is living next to a bar.
2: Yeah. Which it had been for, you know, the 30 years prior to that, if not longer. Exactly. And there, there, there definitely some stuff got out of hand at Brown Bag. Like that's without a doubt. Um, some of the fights and stuff that happened outside were, was just mind blowing but you know a lot of that comes down to how you you run your bar at the same time there's uh you control your bar through music like a lot of times i don't necessarily have the crowd to justify having a dj but when i have a dj i can control the music that's being played and the music that's being played in your bar has a lot to do with how everyone acts and you know the time they have in your bar both for good and bad mm-hmm and so for I mean specifically like you can't play a ton of gangster rap <laughs> in a bar in Anchorage because it attracts the clientele that is bound to cause trouble. Uh, and and I hate to say it cuz I love gangster rap. I mean I grew up in the 90s listening to Wu-Tang and or I went to high school in the 90s listening to Wu-Tang and Dr. Dre and and love the music, but mm. when you play it in a bar it just, it, it, it's like it takes over and the crowd takes over and then it just gets out of control.
0: Honestly, I only listen to like, <laughs> like really angry rap, right? That's just like, that's kind of, I shouldn't say I only listen to that. I listen to a lot of stuff, but if I listen to rap, it's usually like, you know, Jedi mind tricks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's not like happy music. And what I noticed at a certain point, especially living in Alaska, I can't listen to a lot of that music in the winter time.
2: Well, and especially if you've been drinking.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, if
2: you've had a couple cocktails in you, and you, you know, here's some, you know, some, some heavy duty rap go, come on.
0: So instead of rap, what do you guys play? Like uh, some Kenny G?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't knock the sax. <laughs> uh, no, I think that might be worse for business than rap. <laughs> Um, you know, it really depends on the time of uh, the time of day. So when the DJs first come on at ten, I ask them to play. You know, keep it pretty light, like some classic rock. You know, a, a lot of a lot of rock early on, and then when the when the crowds come in and people want to dance, we kind of move to a. And I hate to say this, but we move to like a top forty playlist.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and there's certainly songs even in the top 40 that we can't play some of the rap and that's come out um and now just even as popular as it is just doesn't work in a bar setting um the djs are always trying to push the limits because they love to play the music that they listen to and enjoy and it's it's good for business up until a point you know you you know the great djs um in anchorage and i've got two of the best that play consistently now i've got jesse cross and joe brady mm-hmm. um, and we've had some good ones throughout the years julio spencer schroyer um dj livingston we've Had some great djs some of the best djs in anchorage play at the pioneer um, alex the lion is another great one and they know how to read the crowd so you know if the crowd is a little flat and not you know not on their feet having fun they know how to pick the crowd up and then they push that and they try not to push it over the limit. You, you try and push it right to the limit and then you kind of slow it back down, you know, and give everybody a chance to, to for lack of a better word, relax. And, mm-hmm. and then you kind of build it back up, but it's a, it's a constant, there, there's definitely an ebb and flow to, to playing music in the bar, to control the crowd, to keep them, to keep them happy and, keep them dancing and keep them buying drinks
0: what's interesting about a bar and i think that this has kind of been a theme in this conversation but i think it would inevitably be a theme talking about bars in general is that it is kind of this game of controlling the crowd right Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of like psychology involved right so if you're talking about The DJ, they're reading the crowd and, you know, maybe this song is working and then this song isn't working. So let's go back to like a, you know, a higher tempo, upbeat song. And then if you were to talk about uh, bartenders, right? Like they're sitting there listening to people's, potentially their stories, their woes, their their successes, their failures, you know, and they're responding to it. It's bars, I think, are just an interesting place.
2: They are, they're definitely an interesting place. I mean, I love the bar industry, it's a ton of fun. Like I said, I'm not out so late anymore as I used to be, but I love to just go there and hang out and talk with people. You know, there's a ton of regulars that come in throughout the day that I can just sit there and BS with for an hour, Mm -hmm. you know, just talking about random life stuff or just the happenings or what's going on in their lives. And, And even not as a bartender anymore, just as, you know, being another customer in there hanging out. It's uh, it's great fun. And that was one of the biggest things that I loved about bartending was interacting with people. You, you have to be a people person to be a bartender,
0: mm-hmm.
2: to be a good bartender at least. Yeah, for sure. A lot of people get drawn into bartending because you can make really good money bartending. But to truly suc- be a successful bartender, to be a good bartender, you have to enjoy it as well. You can't just be there for the money. If you're in the bar industry just for the money, you're not gonna be happy in the long run.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but if you enjoy the industry and you enjoy people and talking with people and and just being around people and being a social person, then then the possibilities are endless. I've created some of my best friends um, in the world are, are from from the bar, you know, almost all of my close friends with the exception of the guys that I went to high school with and stuff like that are somehow related to the bar industry. I'm, uh, I'm getting married in June next year, and I have six groomsmen. And with the exception of one of my oldest friends in the world, I went to preschool with the other five groomsmen are all I can trace how we met and how we became friends go directly to the Pioneer.
0: Is the Pioneer Is it going to be a part of your wedding at all? Will you guys go there for drinks before or after?
2: In some way. Yes. Uh, the wedding is, um, it's out in a little farm in Peter's Creek that has an apple orchard. So we'll probably get ready like downtown. So the groomsmen and the bridesmaids will probably do something around downtown. I'm sure that me and my groomsmen will end up at the pioneer (laughs) for, for something, uh, before the wedding. Um, afterwards it, it, probably, we probably won't end up back there, but, um, but the bar is going to do the, the bar for the wedding at the native heritage center. So, so there'll be some of my guys there and, and some other friends that, that, uh, don't work for me that are bartenders though, will, will actually bartend the wedding. So my guys can go to it.
0: My wife and I also got married at the native heritage center. It's a really beautiful place.
2: Oh yeah. It's gorgeous. Um, so it's a great time. It's, we're just having the reception there. The, the actual ceremony is going to be out at uh, a little farm in Peters Creek. That's That's really pretty.
0: You know, I have this line of questioning that I think became more important because you had mentioned the legislature and how they're against alcohol. So to what extent do you think a bar and its staff are responsible for its patrons?
2: I think to be a responsible owner you have to have responsible people behind the bar and when you have responsible people behind the bar they can pay attention to what to what people are doing we never have ultimate control over somebody so if someone comes into the bar you know they could have had they could have chugged a half a bottle of vodka in the parking lot before they came in and they're going to come into the bar and not have they're not going to show any signs of impairment yet but they can come into the bar and have one drink and a half an hour later they're passed out or they're getting into a fight or causing some sort of trouble. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really hard job that, that the bartenders and doormen have to try and keep an eye on everybody in the establishment. Um, I think my guys do a really good job of it. We try and pay attention to what's going on with everybody. You know, My bartenders are paying attention to how many drinks so-and-so has had like, oh, this is their you know someone might be on their sixth vodka red bull but they've also been there for 6 hours you know mm-hmm. but if someone's you know getting their fourth vodka red bull and they've only been there for 40 minutes might be like okay this guy needs to we need to slow him down a little bit next time he comes up you know offer him a glass of water and tell him to to take it easy you know you want to you have to walk this fine line because you want people to be in there spending money but at the same time you don't want people getting wasted and doing something stupid Mm -hmm. And once they leave our establishment, it's, I mean, it's, it's out of our hands completely. And that's the scariest part because there's a ton of liability with being a bar owner.
0: And what kind is that?
2: Uh, just if someone goes out and gets into a car accident or, you know, does something stupid, it can come back on us Mm -hmm. and, you know, it might not be, you know, our fault. It might just be that we were the last place that they had a cocktail or we were just a place that they had a cocktail, but, somebody that had something happen to them blames us for their behavior it's hard enough to regulate everything that goes on inside of a bar let alone when people leave the bar yeah
0: i think that's impossible that's like
2: yeah it 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 honestly is impossible i mean you try and do your best like with our it's easier for our regulars you know the guys that we know that came down there and you know so and so pulls up his truck's parked right out front we know he drove here you know when he goes to leave my guys are going to say hey Give us your keys, you know, we'll pull your truck around back. We've got a little parking alcove. We pull customers' cars back there all the time during the weeknight so they don't get parking tickets because I'd rather lose a parking space out back than have, you know, that person get a DUI or even worse, get into an accident and cause themselves or someone else harm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my guys are constantly looking out for the regulars to make sure that they're, you know, not making bad decisions. But like you said, its I mean, it's next to impossible for everybody because you don't know. You know, somebody parked three blocks away, they came to the Pioneer and hung out for two hours, had a few cocktails, and then go get in their car and get into a wreck. Like, how are we supposed to stop that?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: There's no way for us to know they were gonna drive. And there's no way for us to stop them from driving. I mean, as an owner, I care about everybody that comes through there. And when I was bartending, it was the same way. Like, if you were in the bar drinking with us, you know, you're part of the family and we want, we want, we want to help you and encourage you to make, to make good decisions. You know, we want you to have a good time and some people need to let loose and some people need to not let loose. And there's, there's a time and place for everything, but we're, we always try to encourage people to, to be smart about what they're doing just because the last thing we want is for somebody to make a mistake or do something that, you know, will affect them for the rest of their life.
0: Mm-hmm. Has owning a bar taught you anything about Alaskans in general, or maybe the people of Anchorage in specific?
2: Um, I mean, mainly it's, Alaska is just such an amazingly diverse community and Anchorage, Anchorage is a, a diverse community. I mean, there's so many different people out there, different walks of life, different jobs, different ethnicities, different habits, different personalities. I mean, there's you know there's no there, there's no two people that are alike so it's it's constantly just learning about people and experiencing you know the experience of of getting to know people and and enjoy their personalities and behaviors
0: yeah i think that that's probably something that um I think as people get older, they become more isolated. I think that's just the nature of of getting older. You know, your circle becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And so, one of my like promises to myself has always been to constantly be learning. Right? Like, I I want to be a lifelong learner. And in order to be a lifelong learner, you really have to continue to put yourself almost like either in uncomfortable situations. Or situations where you're constantly going to be around people. And like you're saying, you're constantly around other people. And you're learning from them because you're not creating your own echo chamber, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're always experiencing something new. I'm a very social person. I love talking with people. Um, it drives my girlfriend crazy. <laughs> or fiance now, sorry. <laughs> it drives my fiance crazy because, you know, we can't go out to dinner. Or go to a bar or go anywhere really without running into somebody that that I know, you know, not just because of owning the bar, but because I worked at the bar for so long and because I grew up in Anchorage and it really is a small town. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're always, you know, always running into somebody and, you know, something that t- should take five minutes running in to get something ends up taking me 10 or 15 or, uh, you know, we we'll go out to dinner and we'll be walking to the table and I'll run into somebody that you know, that I enjoy talking to and I I don't want to just blow them off because I'm there to have dinner. You know, there's somebody that, you know, took the time to say hi to me. So I want to talk to them and see how their day's going or whatever. Um she, she really gets driven crazy when I, you know, I'll be at home and someone will call and oh, Mike, you need to come down and do this. We need to get something out of the safe or you know, we need you to fix the computer or the ATM or whatever, you know, and i'll be like okay baby i gotta run down to the bar real quick And she would be like how long is this gonna take i'm like i don't know and she's like well, what do you need to do i was like well, i have to do this so, so you should be back in about a half an hour i'm like well i'd like to tell you that but odds are good that i'm gonna run into somebody that i want to talk to or that wants to talk to me so i'm gonna sit down and talk to him so, like let's shoot for an hour and i can't really make any promises on that either
0: i'm the same way obviously it's different for me because i i don't own a bar so i'm not you know, my circle is different, I guess, but my attraction to talking to people is very similar to that. One of the people that I love talking to are cab drivers, and mm-hmm. my wife. I don't think it annoys her. She's just like, you always like to talk to cab drivers, you know. Just all you know, comments on it, and it, and I don't know if I'm the same way with Uber or Lyft drivers. I don't. I think to a much lesser extent because. Cab drivers always interest me, you know, like, why this profession? And, you know, they always have really interesting, like, cool stories. Yeah. And, I, and usually I always sit in the front seat. Um, I mean, especially if I've had a few drinks. Like, Oh, it's, I'm 100% <laughs> the
2: same way. I'm just as bad with Uber drivers as I am with cab drivers. And I wouldn't say that it annoys my fiance either, but she definitely... Notices she, it. Yeah, she definitely comments on it. She'd be like, yeah, it was a 20 minute drive home and you talked to that guy the entire time. I was like, yeah, did you hear the story he was telling us? You know, he just moved here from Afghanistan and he's trying to carve out a life for himself or, or whatever it is. And it's just fun. It's just fun learning about people and learning about their experiences. Do you
0: have any profession in specific that, you know, like like me, it's, it's the cab drivers. For some reason, I'm just always drawn to them. Um, anything like that?
2: Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd probably have to say that for me, it's probably like cab drivers and, and Uber drivers as well, just cause it's such a, it's such an interesting profession and people that are drivers, whether it's a cab driver or an Uber driver are just from every different walk of life. Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, it could be a, a college student who's just, you know, making extra money, you know, doing a part time. Or you know, it's somebody's second job. You know, they could be, you know, a construction worker or a esthetician, or you know, work somewhere in retail or a bartender. You know, that, that just something they're doing on the side. You know, and I I think a lot of people that end up in that profession are also pretty sociable.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, they want to talk to people. You can definitely tell when you get a driver that isn't sociable, like they're just there because they're making extra money. But when you get a driver that enjoys interacting with other people, uh, it makes for a fun drive home, whether you've had a couple drinks or not.
0: Have you learned anything or had any epiphanies from one of those random conversations?
2: Uh, I wouldn't say any major epiphanies, just, you know, you just learn like how hard somebody else's life can be and like what it took them to get where they are. So it, it it'd be more just like social knowledge and learning about people than any major epiphanies.
0: You know, what's interesting about that is it kind of gets back to one of the original things that we were talking about was understanding that the grass is not always greener on the other side. Mm -hmm. So we've come full circle. I've connected the two. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I have one more Instagram question and I think it might be an easy one for you. This one is from Garrett Fessler. I think I'm saying (laughs) his last name correctly. Yeah. Oh, you know him? Oh yeah. Okay, cool. He asked, can you bring back the cigarette machine? (laughs) No,
2: no, (laughs) no, we can't bring back the cigarette machine. Why is that? Uh, well, we didn't own it in the first place. It was, um, It was owned by the guy that was running the pool tables at the time. He did our pool tables and jukebox. Uh, Interesting fact, uh, a bar is not technically allowed to own their own jukebox. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Why is that? I I don't know. It's just the way the laws are written. So we have to go through a company that owns the jukebox. um, And then we also have to pay all the the fees and stuff, all the ASCAP. And um, there's two different organizations that we have to pay fees to just to have a jukebox in the bar.
0: Wow. That's interesting.
2: But, um, but this anyways, cigarette machine, we didn't own and that thing caused more problems than it was worth, to be honest with you. It was just so old because cigarette machines are not something that's really made anymore. Um, we toyed the idea of putting a vending machine where the cigarette machine was and having cigarettes and snacks and stuff in it, but we couldn't really find anything that had a small enough footprint to, to work there. So we ended up just getting rid of it and uh, putting an ATM there instead.
0: Is there still conversations uh, circling about having a cigarette machine, or is it is that idea dead?
2: It's pretty dead. We uh, we discussed having cigarettes behind the bar, but it you know we just dis- we we discussed it with our staff and we discussed it amongst ourselves with Dave and I, and just kind of came to the conclusion that it wasn't something we wanted to deal with. It would just be another another shopping run we had to do and another thing to keep track of. And the amount of people that ask to buy cigarettes has significantly gone downhill in the last five years. Do you think less people are smoking? I don't wanna say less people are smoking, but I think maybe it's just because we haven't had a cigarette machine for so long, they know we, they know we don't have it to buy. Um, and the Gaslight sells cigarettes and Darwin sells cigarettes, so their cigarette's a block away. If someone, if someone desperately needs them.
0: Okay. So Garrett Fessler, (laughs) sorry, sorry,
2: Garrett cigarette machine is not coming back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Go to Darwin's or gaslight.
2: Yeah. I don't even think Garrett smokes. So that's the really funny thing. Actually, I'm pretty sure he doesn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Well, Mike, uh, that's all for my questions, man. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add?
2: No, I think, we, I think we really covered a lot. and it was, uh, it was fun talking with you.
0: You can support local grassroots journalism at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Okoda Beats.